0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener-supported.
1: Community radio from South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
3: And I'm Lucinda Lonick. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, October 13th, 2022.
2: Later in the program, we have the latest edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana, which is broadcast live the second Thursday of every month. More in the bottom half of our program.
3: Also, coming up in the next half hour, candidates clashed in the Indiana Secretary of State debate this week over election security. That's coming up in your State House Roundup.
2: Good afternoon, this is your State House Roundup, I'm Benedict Jones. Early voting started on October 12th and will continue until November 7th. Early voting will take place at the Election Operations located at 302 South Walnut Street in Bloomington. Hours for early voting can be found at MonroeCountyVoters.us. More information is available by calling 812-349-2690. The League of Women Voters is providing nonpartisan information to the public on the upcoming election. Vote 411, the League's online portal, gives you factual data about candidates, polling place ID requirements, and more. More information is available at vote411.org.
3: The Indiana Secretary of State race will be one to watch for the 2022 election cycle. It may be one of the only statewide races Democrats could win during the general election. It's also a race that could draw in more voters for the Libertarian Party. Republican candidate Diego Morales missed this week's Secretary of State debate. Democratic candidate Destiny Scott Wells and Libertarian candidate Jeff Mauer faced off in Monday's debate clashing over voter fraud and election law. Mauer said the election security and transparency are top priorities for the Indiana Secretary of State position in his opening remarks.
4: Our top policy challenge necessarily has to be our election integrity. And so it's the sum total of all the details of getting together to make sure that our elections are transparent and accountable and that we can all see the process clearly and have confidence, restored confidence in our elections. So we have to look at all of campaign finance law and all of election law to see those opportunities where we can make our elections more secure, more transparent.
3: Wells said that misinformation during elections and the lack of voter turnout are problems she would address as Secretary of State. Wells also responded to a follow-up question from debate moderator Laura Merrifield-Wilson about additional responsibilities she would tackle if she took office.
1: The Secretary of State's office has multiple roles, but this year in 2022, post 2020 elections, the biggest policy challenge is running our elections in a free yet secure way. We live in the age of disinformation and we have seen that transpire when the 2020 elections were contested that the results were fair and accurate. It is the Secretary of State's job to make sure that we are educating the population as to our process in fighting this age of disinformation information. As Secretary of State, running elections will be our top priority in addition to the other three divisions within the office. Additionally, Hoosiers are not turning out to vote. We are 46 in the nation in registered voter turnout and so we want to make sure that while we are educating about our election process, we are also engaging the public and making sure that they are turning out to vote and making their voices heard.
3: The Indiana Secretary of State race will be decided on Election Day, which will happen on November 8th. That's all for your State House Roundup. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnuk.
2: At the election board meeting on October 6th, election supervisor Karen Wheeler shared that it is National Voter Education Week and gave some important information on voting.
5: Okay, I do have a couple updates. This is National Voter Education Week from October 3rd to the 7th. If you didn't know that, or if our audience didn't know that, I think that's very interesting. And IU has done different things to promote that. And then October 12th, around noon, of course, our early voting starts October 12th. I should probably just back up a little bit. October 11th is the last day you can register to vote. And you can do that online at indianavoters.com if you have an Indiana driver's license or an Indiana ID. Otherwise, you can send it in or you can come into our office. And if you haven't registered, we really would like that for it to happen. But then on the 12th, we start early voting. And that's at 302 South Walnut Street, where it used to be the Napa building, used to be the blue building. It's no longer blue. It's a very nice beige. Um, it, it looks very, very nice. And it's between the convention center and the Bloomington Bus Transit right in the middle. We will have more um, signage, more flags. I think it'll be easier to find, although people um, did do a good job of finding it. Anyway, on October 12th, At noon, we're going to have, it's what's called an early voting press conference, and that is with IU Big Ten Challenge Committee slash PACE. They do a lot of things with voter registration, and they're going to have some cameras there wanting to interview a few people. They want to show how people are coming in to vote. So it's just all good advertisement for us, I believe.
2: County Clerk Nicole Brown explained that the first day of early voting will be held on a Wednesday this year instead of a Tuesday due to Columbus Day.
6: Well, and I would only follow up with a couple of things. One, just because it was confusing to me. Um, so in case anyone else is confused with October 12th being a Wednesday, the issue is that Columbus Day is celebrated at the state. That is a state holiday holiday. And so that would ordinarily have been the last day to register to vote, but you get an extra day because of the state holiday. It is not a county holiday here in Monroe. And so that is why instead of early voting normally starting on a Tuesday, this year it will start on a Wednesday. It is still 28 days before the election. Um, So I just wanted to clarify that for anybody who may be concerned. show up on a Tuesday.
2: Board Chair Shruti asked for clarification of when exactly online voter registration will end. Brown said that residents have until just before midnight at 11.59 p.m. on October 11th to register to vote. Next, the election board heard from the Staff Liaison Council for Community Accessibility for City of Bloomington and Community Family Resource Department Michael Shermis about accessibility at polling sites. Brown gave some history to the board before Shermis spoke.
6: One of the things that has happened is Indiana Disability Rights reached out to me um, and asked to meet me at the conference. For whatever reason, we weren't able to meet up. Um, but then they came and supplemented not replaced, supplemented. Um, some very good work that was done by our good friends a couple of years back, where we went out to visit all of our polling sites, gave us feedback on what was working, what could be improved, that type of thing. And um and we are we continue to be very grateful for that and it has made things easier. <sighs> a couple of things have happened. Um when the Indiana Disability Rights representative came out, she recommended some language regarding our bathrooms. We had particular language that we were all very comfortable with using, and she disagreed. Um, Mr. Shermans, who is going to speak to us today, learned of that, and he didn't have the background story for why we It was even coming up as an issue, so I explained it, And I just want to quickly explain it here. I'll try to be very brief, but it will lead into why he's talking with us today. There's another county in Indiana who changed the location where disabled voters would go in to vote the entrance, your your ingress instead of putting a sign up that said that the entrance had changed the sign said, no handicap voting here. You can imagine how that went over to anybody who saw it And in the age of camera phones. It it did not go over well in that county. So it is still relayed to clerks as a cautionary tale to make sure your signage says what it needs to say. And so um, we do take care with that. We do not have that issue in Monroe County. I want to be very clear, but there is a little nuance that I'm going to have Mr. Shermis explain and um, we can have
3: further discussion after that. Would that be fair? Shermis explained his job making sure that buildings are to code to ensure that they are accessible. He said there were a few things they had asked the county to address to ensure accessibility at polling stations.
4: I uh, work with volunteer surveyors to ensure uh, that facilities in Bloomington uh, are accessible. So we do a lot of uh, different surveys for uh, restaurants and retail stores, but occasionally we get asked by somebody to do uh, other surveys. And uh, we worked with board member Turner here uh, to uh, do all of the polling sites in, uh, in Bloomington and, and beyond. We usually don't go outside of Bloomington, but for this, every member thought that this was important enough that we would uh, break the boundaries and go out uh, and and do them all. I think there were 32 sites at the time. There were. Yeah, and um, I th- I believe that out of those 32 sites, there might have been five that w- that did not have accessible restrooms, and there were other accessibility issues at various sites. And when we had that full list of here are the barriers, um, the question immediately was raised what are we going to do to mitigate these barriers? Because it's not like uh, you can just say, yeah, we're, we'll eliminate that polling site because it's not accessible, because we realize uh, that takes it away from certain uh, uh, neighborhoods and areas that need to have a polling site somewhere. So we uh, 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 said, what are we going to do to mitigate those things? And there was uh back and forth on, on those mitigations Um, and when we uh, got them and looked them over and reviewed them, we came back with, oh, we suggest these changes, and we did some negotiation, Um, and of course, one of the ones that was the more challenging one was for the restrooms itself, because that's a bigger deal, not having any restrooms, Um, and so we agreed that if we had a sign that was visible um, that said uh, there are no accessible restrooms at this polling site, If you need an accommodation, please come see a poll worker at the front of the line. And uh, everybody agreed that that was a good mitigation, including uh, several people from the Council for Community Accessibility, some uh, obviously in wheelchairs, uh, etc. And so... Uh, That was the agreement. This is what we agree that will be the right wording. And everybody walked away from that as in like, we're good with this. We feel this is uh, good communication to people who are in wheelchairs specifically that they know uh that they have the opportunity to uh, immediately get up into the front of the line get their voting done and leave because sometimes it can be very hard on them waiting in long lines especially when it comes to restroom issues and so this was uh, the mitigation we all agreed upon uh and so of course when it came up that uh, there was the chance of changing this it uh uh, uh didn't sit too well with members of the uh, uh, of the uh, uh, disability community, and so we uh, came to you uh, all, uh, several of you, as a matter of fact, with uh oh, what can we do? Can we talk this through? And I feel like after talking it through with everybody, that we agreed that these signs could still stand the way they are, and that everybody was comfortable with them.
3: Member of Accessibility Committee of the Council for Community Accessibility, Leslie Davis, spoke about touring the polling stations. It was eye-opening and uh, I'm so glad we did it. Um,
5: And I feel like we, um, well, of course, we would love for all those churches and other places that are not quite there in terms of accessibility to make changes, um, we would love more for people with disabilities to be allowed to vote as close as possible to where they live. Um, And the alternative of saying there are no restrooms at all if there aren't restrooms for everyone seemed um, unnecessarily um, punitive. uh, And it might mean, (laughs) it might send the signal that, um, that one should not Try to vote here. So um, we we are happy with the language that implies if you <laughs> if you come to a long line as a wheelchair user or a person with reduced mobility and you get worried that you aren't going to be able to wait long enough, um, the the indication is there that you can um, you can head on up to the front of the line and say, hey, uh, I'm that person on that sign. Um, and I'd like to vote now. Um, but nor does it invite, um, you know, everybody with a, a, a disability to just race ahead. Um, it's not like going to Disneyland and asking for a wheelchair so you can get to the front of the wall. So we're, we're happy with it and we hope that we can keep it for Monroe County.
3: Assistant City Attorney for the City of Bloomington and ADA Compliance Officer Barbara McKinney said that the sign was a reasonable compromise. I mean, Obviously, the best
5: solution would be to have accessible restrooms in every polling site. But given the reality of needing the sites for just one day and you can't find all those available sites, this is a reasonable compromise. And I think probably the most wor- used word in the ADA outside of maybe the "a" is reasonable. And sometimes you do the best you can. And, you, and this gives full information to people who are online and they can make a decision for themselves. And it just seems like the best solution.
3: Brown summarized the decision to use language that the Council for Community Accessibility asked the election board to keep.
6: And so, so uh, to sum it up, at the time with the, the uh, dual recommendations. I was concerned about litigation in Monroe County. We certainly want every single Monroe County voter to know that the polls are available and accessible to the degree that we can do them. You know, um, as someone said, if there's a church or something that is not completely accessible, um, you know, we do the best we can to mitigate. And so I entertained the language from the Indiana Disability Rights Organization in an effort to avoid litigation. But after speaking with Mr. Shermus and his colleagues, I definitely am comfortable that the, the signage that we currently have is the right signage for Monroe County's voters and that that is
3: the signage that we should continue to utilize. The next election board meeting will be held on November 3rd.
2: Welcome to Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana, which is broadcast live on the second Thursday of every month. This month, hosts Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Green Stone interviewed Paul Kachoka, a longtime steel worker and Northwest Indiana activist. Paul is the chair of the Northwest Indiana Medicare for All and past president of the United Steelworkers of America 6787. We turn now to the October edition of Prescription for Healthcare.
0: From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Paul Kachaha, who lives in Gary, Indiana. Paul is the chair of Northwest Indiana Medicare for All and past president of the United Steelworkers of America 6787. He's a retired steelworker who is engaged in politics in the Northwest Indiana area. Paul Kachaha, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare.
7: Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Rob, for inviting me. I'm excited okay. to be, uh, be on the show today.
8: So, Paul, I think people in the rest of the state don't necessarily understand what Northwest Indiana is and how it differs maybe from the rest of the state and why there are some ways that we may be organized in Northwest Indiana, some advantages, maybe some disadvantages. And then we're going to come around to your congressman too. But first, just tell us a little bit about organizing Northwest Indiana.
7: Northwest Indiana is actually the steelmaking center of the United States of America we make people associate steel with Pittsburgh but actually northwest indiana produces the vast majority of steel in the united states and as a result we're one of the most polluted areas in the state also we have had a variance on the benzene emissions in for example which is a very toxic cancerous chemical there's been a, a variance allowed in our area to those steel companies they're allowed to pollute with benzene primarily from the coking process. And coke is a fuel that's used in the making of steel. And the way I describe steel is steel is made by the melting down of a lot of pieces, of different pieces of earth. They have to be melted down to make that steel. And it takes a lot of energy. In that. And they use coal primarily, low sulfur coal, to produce that steel. And have, as a result, the coke ovens produces about 2,000 chemicals. But one of the big ones is benzene. A lot of the chemicals that the Coke Ovens uh, produces are injected into deep wells underground. I don't know if you know about that process. It exists in a lot of different plants, different companies around the world, but primarily in, in the United States, where they inject their uh, pollution in these wells. They say that it'll never come back up. Now that it's fracking everything I wonder what I wonder if that isn't. but we have something like five of the top seven Superfund sites in Northwest Indiana for in the country for cleaning up pollution. there's pollution our waterways there's just a recent report fresh within the last couple of weeks a report about the pollution in our waterways so primarily the main Grand Calumet River the big, our our wetlands are polluted like crazy here too. So as a result, there's a lot of health issues, cancers and lung pulmonary diseases and that in the this northwest Indiana area.
8: Lots of things to organize around. And I think people in the rest of the state, at least the southern part of the state where we live, often forget that Indiana, as red as it has become in the last few years, actually has two democratic Members of Congress, not just Andre Carson in the Indianapolis area. So, tell us a little bit about your representative and the efforts you've been making to try to tap in on the fact that he's a Democrat, but he has not yet gone on record supporting the Medicare for All bills in Congress.
7: We've had a, a Democratic congressman in Northwest Indiana in the first congressional district for like a hundred years or something like that. It's been forever, and the previous the Congressional representative we have now, Frank Mervan, is a freshman. He had taken over and was endorsed by Pete Visklosky, who had been congressman for 32 years. And he had endorsed the previous legislation, which was, I think, at 1834, I think was the number for Medicare for All okay. prior to 676. Or I mean after 676, 676 being the Conyers legislation. Then 1834 was uh, another version that was put, introduced by uh, Pramela Paul. And uh, so he had endorsed that. We had been pressuring him back in the day on 676, but I don't think we ever got him signed up on 676. We may have, but I, I don't recall. But in uh, on 1834, he definitely endorsed 1834. And then when Mervan took office, we'd been lobbying him quite a bit. we have met with him twice. Both times, he says he's still thinking about it. And the last time we met with him, we said, why don't you have a meeting with Prime Minister Jampal, with Congresswoman Jampal? And uh, he did that. He did have a meeting with her. And we've been asking of him what has occurred with that meeting. And we haven't gotten an answer yet from him. And I'm going to a big fundraiser that I spent a lot of money for him on this Saturday. So I hope to, and I've met him, I've met with him. I've campaigned shoulder to shoulder with them, and I've also met him at campaign strategy meetings and that. But he is under a severe attack by the Republicans. I've labeled this as a district that's in play. And as a result of the years of ideological pollution and the gerrymandering of this district that the Republicans have done several times, they stretched it into more rural areas instead of concentrated just in the Northwest Indiana, which is all industrial. From uh, Gary to Hammond to Whiting to East Chicago, all those are very industrial. So there's lots of different uh, manufacturing and steel processing manufacturing factories that are organized here. So we have a high concentration of organized labor. That is good for Democrats in general because organized labor tends to vote primarily for Democrats. But there's been ideological pollution and a lot of that is not as solid as it used to be. Fortunately, the Democrats have been hammering away at Frank Mervan's opponent, who is a very staunch uh, against abortions no matter what. Not even if it was life or uh, all the exceptions, no exceptions to abortion. They've hammered her hard and they picked a black woman. Frank Mervan won with the black vote here in Gary, where I live. So they brought her in from California, actually. They have her working at a, a religious school in the suburbs. Gave her a job there. She's a veteran of the United States Air Force intelligence. So she's a very sharp candidate. And they're doing a print and media campaign at Nasdaq to try to unseat Mervant. Now, what we have been doing meantime, we have a postcard campaign that we've been running for a while now that we plan on after the election. Hopefully he wins. And when he wins, we're going to meet with them and present them these postcards. We should have thousands by that time. We also did something unprecedented here. I don't know if there have been a poll done of Indiana, let alone Northwest Indiana. We did a 10-question poll. And we went around in Frank Mervan's precinct, actually. Huh. We're going to release the results of that poll that we conducted in his precinct. And there was like 1,600 people in his precinct. And we went door to door. I forget how many hundreds of doors we knocked on, but we actually have 100 solid responses. Matt. On a national poll would be a lot. They do national polls on 500 at random responses. Ours isn't at random, though we were going door to door. We were using the voter registration polls. So these are voters that we have responses from. We're going to release the results to that poll at that time when we meet with them. If we don't meet with them before the end of the year, we're going to release the results. Anyway. So what were the questions? There were 10 questions, and uh, actually there was only... Eight of them that had any meat because the last few were do you want to have your name used because otherwise it would be anonymous? And what's your political persuasion? The main ones were whether you were in favor of Medicare for All. And what I found when I was polling people, it was that, and we did it over a two day period, two different weekends, and uh, that people didn't always understand that premise at first. Bernie having the notoriety of making Medicare for all more popular and more popular in the consciousness of people in the country has resulted in people understanding when you right away say so that legislation that Bernie Sanders in or was uh, pushing push uh-huh. Medicare for right. all, then they it would click in their, their heads. But I was surprised at the number of Republicans that were in favor. And that's national polls say uh, up some polls had more a majority of Republicans in favor uh-huh. of Medicare for all. And then One of the questions was, uh, are you in in favor of Medicare for all if it meant losing your own insurance that you have? There would be a drop, slight drop off there. Have you ever filed for bankruptcy because of a medical bill? Have you ever delayed medical treatment because of its costs? Uh That was another question. So it was just short, 10 short questions. It only took you a few minutes to go through it with people. And most people, if they were home, they were willing to uh, take the survey. And uh, I was surprised that there were a number of people that understood the difference between a Medicare Advantage plan and uh, Medicare itself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, there were a number of people who were very well aware that a Medicare Advantage plan was not good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: Interesting.
8: Paul. Well, I just think it's really a remarkable and creative effort s- setting up this poll right in Mervan's precinct. And all the work you've done to try to get to him. And of course, it, it's all going to be lost if he loses, but hopefully he's going to win. So that brings us to our
7: last question for you.
0: And our last question for you, Paul, is what is your prescription for healthcare?
7: My prescription for healthcare would be to get a national healthcare plan, single payer healthcare, something even better than the Medicare for All legislation, because the Medicare for All legislation has its weaknesses, and we need something better than that. Actually, Medicare for all legislation as proposed both in Congresswoman's uh, JFL's Paul's legislation and uh, Bernie's Senate legislation doesn't go far enough on a lot of things. And you're, you guys are aware of that. No. That legislation would be a stepping stone, as people would always say, the ACA was a stepping stone. We get that passed, we can get something better passed down the road. And uh, we have to have something better than even the Medicare for all legislation that's proposed. So my prescription would be that to have a really true single-payer legislation that covers everybody from cradle to grave and no cost for anything.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Paul.
7: My pleasure. This is
0: Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana on WFHB Community Radio. To your good health, everyone. Stay safe and thank you for listening.
3: We
5: may never see this moment, A place and time again, if not now, if not now.